You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. And so please open your Bibles. For the last time, I might say church, at least for now, to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4. And with that, we come to our final sermon in our 2 Timothy series. It has been a great blessing. It has been a uh, fun ride. It has been very, very timely over these past several months. I have personally enjoyed it so much. I've been very encouraged by so many of you who have said the same. Uh, the timing of God's word is always going to be right. Uh, the relevance of God's word is always going to fit. But it just seems like in the last several months, again, Second Timothy coming to us at this time um, in this way has been extra special. And I love expository preaching. That's what we've been doing we're going verse by verse through scripture. I love expository preaching because it takes you to places that you might not naturally go. Like, for example, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 to 22 on Christmas weekend. All right? Like, typical, that's maybe a place you would not choose to go on Christmas weekend. But here we are, and I'm excited about it because every word in this book has been placed there by God and carries eternal importance and purpose. And today in our final verses, we discover this. Here's our thesis for today. I am not designed to fight the good fight alone. I am not designed by God to fight the good fight alone. In fact, to say it another way, friendship is God's design for us to win this good fight. Friendship is the design of God within the church of God for us to be able to persevere, to endure, to finish the race, to keep the faith, to fight the good fight. I would go so far to say from today, without godly friends, without sincere godly friends in Jesus Christ, your chances in this fight are bleak at best. One of the great concerns of the 2020 Year 2020 and the church is so many have been isolated by God's design in the church. Not all, of course, but many have been either tempted or have chosen or circumstances has endangered them from being isolated by the community of God and the church of God and the family of God, again, by God's design in his church. Many have been isolated from biblical community and therefore biblical friendship. And one of the great problems with that reality is we cannot win this fight alone. We are not designed, you got to hear me, we are not designed to win this fight alone. So I love by God's sovereignty and in his word and on the verge of Christmas and all that we've seen this year in 2020 and as we come again to the end of this year that we're here in this text right now in the name of Jesus Christ on the preaching and power and necessity of friendship. And we're going to see this all centers on Jesus in the end as well. So, with that, let me read our text today, and we will jump in. All those listening at home, I pray you have a copy of God's Word, ready and eager to hear what God has to say to us today. 2 Timothy 4, verse 9. Uh, Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. He is very useful to me for ministry. 
Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. There it is. I wonder if as I read that, even as I read that, sensing just the beauty and the depth and the variety and the application that we have before us today, I wonder if you're a little more expectant than you ever would have been as you kind of read the personal greetings and conclusion of this letter. So here we go with our final message. Let's start here today. Number one is this, the necessity of close friends. The necessity of close friends in Jesus Christ. And that's an important distinction. Verse 9. Do your best to come to me soon, Paul says to Timothy. Yet again we see, yet again we see, yet again we see Paul's urgency towards Timothy. But this time, he's longing for the presence of Timothy. Do your best to come to me soon. Paul is lonely. Paul is longing for companionship. In chapter 1, he calls Timothy his child. To see his child. I remember your tears that I may have joy, he says. Paul longs to see his child that he might know the joy. Notice here in verse 9, Paul is longing to see Timothy face to face. Do your best to come to me personally. He's strongly desiring an in-person meeting. Why? Because Zoom can only go so far, can it? And we see Paul here eagerly wanting community, like he's really longing for community in person. And notice how Paul reaffirms this desire. Look down in verse 21 of chapter 4. He says, do your best to come to me before winter. As much as Paul's been called to fight this good fight, church, listen, he is not called to fight it alone. He is not called to fight this fight alone, and neither are you. The role of Paul's friends in his life, in Acts and his epistles that he wrote, it's pretty astounding. Scholars estimate there's probably likely a hundred friends that Paul is relating to in some way as we read his letters. A hundred. Hundred godly friends in Christ. Kind of makes sense. Isn't it so true? All of us are designed for community in Christ. All of us are designed to have intimacy with others who love Jesus Christ because we can't win this fight alone. You can't win this fight alone, church. All those listening right now, watching, you can't win this fight alone. It's God's design that we have each other. 
I appeal to you even now as we enter the first verse, I appeal to you, you have to have godly friends to make it. You have to have men and women to come support you and encourage you. To pick you up when you fall down, when you fall off your bike in the dish, to pick you up, put you back on the path towards Christ. It's the design of God. Again, one of the great dangers of 2020, people drifting away from genuine community in Christ. You say, I haven't done that. Praise God then, praise God. But some have. And some are. And that's what Satan wants. If you look back at verse 11, Paul says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. He is very useful to me in my ministry. Notice the first part of that phrase. Here we see Luke's personal devotion to Paul. Luke, so devoted to the ministry and the calling of Paul and the love that they have for one another in that way. Luke, in some way, is providing a special spiritual encouragement to Paul here. Let me ask you, how do you put value on having spiritual friends such as this? How do you put value on that when the going gets tough and the fight gets intense? It's so necessary in this fight by the design of God. When Paul writes this letter, again, in prison, in the dungeon, probably cold and dark and damp, again, you can feel Paul's loneliness on one side, but then you also sense his gratitude for Luke's presence with him on the other side. Loved ones, we need, we need friends in this fight. God has designed it to be this way. Here's what Augustine said about the power of friendship on the screen for you right now. Augustine said this, without friends, by the way, early church father, one of the great theological, again, men ever, without friends, no one would choose to live, though he had all other goods. Because that's the power and the design and the value of friendship. I was reflecting on this as it relates to Christmas weekend, the Christmas story. I was reflecting on the shepherds as they heard the announcement. They had one another and they ran together to celebrate together and their friendship and the awakening and the awareness of Jesus Christ the Lord. The wise men had each other as they fell down and worshipped with joy to again celebrate with one another and share in the ecstasy of understanding they are worshipping the King of Kings. Mary and Elizabeth rejoicing together. Even Jay the bee got into it in the womb of Elizabeth as he leaped with joy. They had each other the value of friendship, of celebrating the first Christmas. We are designed to do the same. And then we read again, it says that Paul wants Mark to come as well. Mark, you say, wait, wait, wait. Mark was the one that deserted Paul again, as revealed in Acts chapter 15. Mark was the one where Paul did not want him to come with him to the point that they reached such a disagreement that Paul and Barnabas, again, had a disagreement, the best of friends, and they went separate ways, what they thought was the best path for their ministry at the time. That was a hard moment to read in the book of Acts, especially between Paul and, again, the rejection in some sense of John Mark. Yet here we see a record which is beautiful in verse 11, a record of restoration, of reconciliation, of relationship. It's wonderful. Whatever happened with Paul, there was a turn of heart and a change of mind and a reconciliation that happened as he now valued and wanted Mark again to join him in his ministry. A tremendous example of restored friendship and unity in Christ. I love that this is here at the end of Paul's life, don't you? 
And by the way, church, right now, here's a very important word of exhortation. Right now in our day, has there really been a time, and at least I can't remember, and probably you can't either, where there have been so many issues with the potential to divide us as believers in Jesus Christ? I mean, honestly, right now, there's so many issues that people are so passionate about. In some ways, let me just say this as Pastor Two Man, if I saw the same passion for Jesus Christ that people have passionate for in these temporal issues right now, man, this whole church and whole community would be changed. The amount of energy and emotion and dedication and devotion and just, again, passion for these issues that in the end, in the end, will mean nothing compared to the glory of Jesus Christ and his church. But I'll put that aside for a second. We, listen, in the church right now, all these issues, that and, and Satan is trying to use it again and again, we can disagree with one another. We cannot divide. We are allowed to disagree. But we do it with godliness and humility and love. We cannot divide. Do not be an instrument of division in this place. Don't let that happen. Let me say it again. We can disagree. We cannot divide. And I love hearing the power of friendship and unity in our text right now. We see this example of Paul wanting to be reunited with Mark, and that's the way it's supposed to be. Loved ones, we cannot win this fight alone. But how many, it's so sad to see fight among themselves rather than fight together in the greatest fight ever, the cause of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Number one, the, the, the necessity of close friends takes us to point number two, the reality of former friends. The reality of former friends. Look at verse 10. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. William MacDonald, he says this, listen carefully, he says, One of the bitterest experiences in Christian service is to be forsaken by those who were formerly one's fellow laborers. One of the bitterest experiences in Christian service is to be forsaken by those who were formerly one's fellow laborers. I believe that's true. And this was Demas. Demas, who obviously meant a lot to Paul, but he would eventually desert Paul. The text tells us why. In love with this present world. In Colossians 4, a Demas is mentioned. It is likely the same Demas. Paul mentions him as a faithful, again, companion in his ministry in the fight for the gospel. And here we see at the end, Demas did not make it, or at least he did not stick around. He loved the world more than he loved Christ, so it seems. I want you to see this. I want you to see how much Paul took this personally. He says in verse 10, he, Demas, has deserted me. He says, me. Again, this is one of the greatest hurts of pastoral ministry. Ministry is a place of tremendous vulnerability. It is very difficult not to feel personal rejection and desertion in such circumstances. However, I remember a massive light bulb for me when a mentor pointed out to me that Jesus was the perfect leader. The perfect, like literally perfect as we know, in every form. He was perfection in leadership. And yet, he was rejected, abandoned, deserted, and betrayed by his own. So if Jesus was the perfect leader, and he went through this, 
How much more will sinful, weak, insufficient, and insecure pastors go through this? But again, what we learn here and throughout Scripture, the reality in this fight, church, the reality in this fight, friends, is it will include former friends. Not by our choosing, not by our desire, not by sometimes our, even our understanding, and yet it will include former friends. It's a difficult truth, but it's a reality as we go through this fight by the nature of Satan and the vulnerability of the flesh and the sinful nature that dwells within each one of us. In this case, Demas, again, verse 10, loved the world, and many interpreters believe that's a direct reference to verse 8, contrasting those who loved his appearing, the appearing of Jesus Christ. Demas did not love the appearing of Christ, but he loved the world instead. Therefore, he made his decision. He went for the world, and in that sense, he rejected following Christ. Where he ended up, we don't ultimately know. But again, an important reality, we will suffer disappointment in this fight. And listen, all, all of us know to this to be true on some level. Every single one of us here right now knows this to be true on some level, in one way or another. We have, we have lost friends in the fight, or we have been rejected by former, whatever it is. All of us know in some form. You know what's so interesting for me, too? If you take a survey of 2 Timothy, just 2 Timothy, Paul mentions four people by name. Like just in, this, in these four pages in this letter, he mentions four people by name who have either opposed him, rejected him, or left him. Just gives you a snapshot, Timothy's reading this. One of the things Timothy's picking up is to say, man, this, this fight's going to be tough. And this fight's going to have people there one moment and are not there the next. And this fight is going to have opposition. And this fight is going to have people who will attack me at the very core of everything that I am. That's what Timothy's understanding as he reads this letter from Paul. The necessity of close friends, the reality of former friends. Thirdly, this, the help of loyal friends. The help of loyal friends. Look at verse 12 and 13 now. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and also the books, and above all, the parchments. What a fascinating piece of scripture, isn't it? You can look at this and just cast it aside and say, oh, that's interesting. Paul's cold or wherever he is. He's looking for a couple of things. That's nice and move on. But we get a picture here of the practical side of Paul and the spiritual. He asks for his cloak. His cloak that he left in Troas, that's like hundreds of miles from where he is. He's in Rome, and he's looking for one coat. How much did Paul owe? Not much. I mean, his simplicity, his sincerity. I mean, it's hard not to read this and be like, bless his heart. He's like, I need my coat. The dungeon is cold and damp. I need that coat. You know that coat I left there? Why did I leave my coat? Can you bring my coat? Hey, this is in this Christmas when presents are ubiquitous. Remember Paul and his cloak, all right? Remember that. And I doubt that Paul's coat was Canada goose. You know what I'm saying? I doubt it. I doubt it. Yet here he is, seeing to fight the good fight, and he reaches out to his friends for practical help and says, Bring me my cloak. And then he asks for his books, and above all, he says, The parchments. The speculation here that these contain likely, most likely, the Old Testament scriptures. They could be personal documents of Paul. They might be portions of the accounts of Jesus that he would have. 
They could even be Paul's own manuscripts again that we hold in our hands today, being his epistles and the word of God. Whatever they are exactly, they are so special to Paul, he needs the help of his friends to get them that he may continue to fight the good fight of the faith with the remaining weeks he has to live. What I love right here is the practical and the essential help of his friends. Notice, loved ones, notice, Paul's request for the practical to help with the spiritual the loyalty of his friends to help him in small ways and big ways. You could say the cloak isn't much, but it's something to continue on. But the books and the parchments, above all, to see the fight go on and the good fight of the faith. He can't do it alone. He's like, I need your help. His loyal friends to provide for him what is needed practically and spiritually. It's a beautiful sight in many ways. And listen, this is Christmas at Hope Bible Church. The practical and the spiritual love flying all over the place right now. So much help being given in so many hundreds of different people and hundreds of different ways. Brothers and sisters continuing to help one another to fight the good fight of the faith. It could be small, it could be big, but spiritual love and practical love is, again, flying around all over the place. The power of loyalty and love that we may not give up the fight. Just this week, I witnessed multiple examples of this within our church family. So many people, so beautiful, doing so many things with such generosity and love and personal sacrifice for the benefit of others. It is so awesome. I'm telling you, listen, you want to seek to be a friend in Christ, do not miss out on this right now. Do not miss out. Put yourself aside for a few moments. Who can you bless? In Jesus' name right now, in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, bring people to mind right now. Have every person sitting here and every person watching. Summon to mind. One person I ask God, Holy Spirit, one person right now that we will choose to act in obedience, to bless with generosity and practical and spiritual, that they may continue to fight the good fight and not give up. It's God's design. Do it, Lord. Do it. Let's go from hundreds and hundreds of thousands and thousands of acts of kindness and love to the people of God and the family of God and the friends that we have in Jesus Christ. The power and blessing of loyalty to one another in the good fight of the faith. But it gets hard again for Paul. Point number four is this, the feeling of no friends. The feeling of no friends. Look at verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first events, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. The feeling of no friends. Here again, we see one of the realities of the good fight. What do we read into in verses 14 to 16? We read opposition, woundedness, hurt, and malice, especially in ministry. This Alexander the coppersmith, was this the Alexander that shipwrecked his faith in 1 Timothy chapter 1? Possibly. But regardless, this man was one who harmed Paul, attacked Paul, and opposed the message of Paul, the gospel. Again, faithful gospel ministry will always have adversaries and some will be quite severe. Faithful gospel ministry will always, always have adversaries. 
Notice how Paul responds in verse 14. He says, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. You need to know that's not a statement of vengeance from Paul. That is actually a prediction of the reality that God will handle such things in the end. And I pray that we could live in the same light of faith. As the author of Hebrews says, quoting the Lord, vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. Vengeance is mine. Paul's not looking for vengeance from himself. He says the Lord will take care of Alexander. Why? Because the day is coming, church, and the judge is coming. As the day comes when the return of Christ, the judge comes. And he will judge the living and the dead, and all wrongs will be made right, and all those will be held to account of what they've done as they have posed him, ultimately, and his gospel. But notice Paul does say the Lord's going to take care of it, but he does give a caution, but beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed the message. He gives the caution, but he leaves again the judgment and the vengeance up to God. This leads us to verse 16, where in some form, in some way, Paul was on trial, maybe entering prison in Rome, we're not sure. But the reality is he says, no one came to stand by me. Think about that. No one came to stand by me. I'm trying to imagine that happening to me in our context. I'm trying to imagine that somehow I'm put on trial for the gospel in our day and not one single person coming to stand by my side. I'm just, it's inconceivable to me. Like, at least one would show up, you think, right? But Paul here, literally no one, no one came. The feeling of, of no friends. Bless his heart, his response though to all this is yet, yet it not be charged may not be charged against them. He's not bitter. He gives grace. But notice there's hurt. Oh, there's loneliness. There's sadness. Yet there's not bitterness. It's really quite beautiful. But this led Paul to the feeling, to the feeling of no friends, which is such a tactic and temptation of the enemy, isn't it? Some watching right now, some here right now, the temptation towards self-pity is constant in your heart and life. The temptation of discouragement, of depression, the temptation to peg yourself as lonely all the time. Again, maybe Satan's tempting you right now in this way, especially in this season. No one cares, no one knows, no one sees. It's the feeling of no friends. You're not alone in that feeling as we see within our text. But, but, then verse 17 comes in, and verse 17 starts with the contrast of the word, but. And this leads us to our final point, number five. The grace of having a perfect friend. The grace of having a perfect friend. Can you imagine having a friend who's perfect like perfect, the perfect friend, never lets you down, never goes against you, always there for you, always willing to love you in grace and truth, like literally a perfect friend, never forsake you, never leave you, always there for you, always listening, understanding, leading, guiding. Man, imagine having a perfect friend. Verse 17, but the Lord stood by me, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed 
and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. As the wonderful hymn says, friends may fail me, foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Friends may fail me, foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Because in the end, Proverbs 18, verse 24 says, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And in the end, the ultimate application of that verse from Proverbs is the friend of sinners who is Jesus Christ, the Lord. Jesus Christ, saving, helping, keeping, loving. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. Hallelujah, what a Savior. In John chapter 6, read it this week, Jesus Christ says, all that the Father gives me, I will not cast out. That's a guaranteed promise. All that the Father gives me, I will not cast out. I will not lose one. I will raise him or her up on the last day. You can take that promise and guarantee to the bank. Jesus Christ is such a friend, he will not lose one of all that he is given by the Father. Every single person that belongs to him, you will be raised up in the last day, 100% guaranteed for sure. Imagine having a perfect friend. It was the Lord who stood by Paul, who strengthened Paul, who rescued Paul. Notice why. Notice why in our text. That the message might be fully proclaimed. Do you think God cares about his message and his messengers? You better believe he does. Notice Paul says, I was rescued from the lion's mouth. That's probably a, a figure of speech used to indicate mortal danger. But time after time, the Lord preserved Paul from death precisely according to his sovereignty. And we are no different. God will precisely guard us according to his sovereignty, according to his time. But most importantly, look at verse 18. The Lord will provide the ultimate rescue. He says, I love this verse that he will bring him safely into his heavenly kingdom. And that, my friends, is the greatest gift that the greatest friend could ever give. Entrance and guaranteed passage into the kingdom of God. Imagine having a perfect friend who gave you entrance into the perfect kingdom. Imagine that. Hey, what'd you get for Christmas this year? I got a kingdom pass. Really? That's cool? You mean the magic kingdom? No, 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 no. Not not the magic kingdom. No, no, no. No, not, 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 not that thing over there. No. Merry Christmas kingdom, kingdom. Jesus Christ, kingdom. Glory to God, kingdom. Eternal life, kingdom forgiveness of sin forever kingdom the righteousness of Jesus Christ kingdom no pain no death no more sorrow kingdom again forever new heavens new earth kingdom being with Jesus Christ forever physically kingdom the sun is not needed the glory of God shines kingdom that kingdom that's what I got this Christmas sounds like a pretty good gift yeah it's really good there's none like it who'd you get it from perfect friend. What's his name? Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners. Jesus Christ, the perfect friend. Jesus Christ, listen, the friend who never, ever fail you, never, ever leave you, never, ever betray you, will never, ever cheat you, never, ever talk behind your back, never, ever undermine you. Jesus Christ, the perfect friend. Jesus Christ who loves you, always forgives you, has prepared a place for you, and listen, is coming back for you. This is the perfect friend. And it's Jesus who says this in John 15. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Listen to this. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but now I have called you friends. But now I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Imagine that. Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe, says, I call you friend. And when you're a friend of Jesus, in the end, that's all you will ever need. And Jesus then surrounds us and his family that we might have friends who care and love and protect and help in this fight that is soon to be over and in the end will be so worth it. Let me ask you as we close right now, do you know Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners? Have you ever truly given your life to him that he might come and save you from sin as you believe in him by faith. You can't do anything. Believe in him by faith. Someone watching right now, Jesus Christ, the perfect friend, offers to you eternal life and relationship with him forever. Give your life to Christ today. Do not wait another moment. Surrender now and allow him to come in and dwell in your home forever. And then the moment he returns, you will look up and say, there's my friend, there's my savior, there's my Lord, there's my king. I belong to him. What a day that will be. Jesus Christ, the perfect friend who surrounds us in this church that we might fight together the good fight of the faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray your church is so encouraged today by your awesome word and awesome message. I pray, O oh Lord, your truth and I pray your comfort I pray, O oh Lord, your forgiveness. I pray, O oh Lord, that your reality, that you are returning. I pray, God, in the midst of this fight that can be lonely at times and feel that we have, again, so few around us, but the reality is Jesus Christ, again, is the one. And you have given us this church family, Lord, that we might persevere and be loyal to one another and forgive each other and fight for each other and love each other. Oh, Lord, this is your design. We cannot win this fight alone. So I pray even now as we respond and sing, I pray, Lord, this is a special time, such a confusing time in our world, but I pray you are using it to gather us closer and closer together. We pray this, we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing with joy today to Jesus Christ.